Good morning. Let's go over an announcement or two. Uh, after our morning worship, we will have a 10-minute break, then regather for our communion service. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's today. Yes, it is. So, because of that, there will be no evening service tonight, and we will resume it resume on October 9th at 6 p.m., our evening service, which will include our Sunday school. So, let's look forward to that. The Armstrongs are all here. All feeling ill today? The big question, Mercy, is how are you feeling? You're, you're, storm, you're surviving the stormy weather and you're doing well? A good prognosis is coming? <coughs> A good prognosis? Say yes. <laughs> but the satisfied Luddites like me, all you got to do is just say yes. <laughs> okay. All righty. Okay. Do we have any uh, additional prayer requests uh, today to consider and ponder? Okay, if there being none, our scripture for meditation today is actually going to be a responsive reading, page 649 out of the hymnal. <clears throat> the Brown Book. When you come to that, please stand with us. Number 649, the vine and the branches. <clears throat> I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, 
and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one Father in heaven, as we begin our service this day, we pray that your Holy Spirit communes with us and strives with us in this hour. We pray as the pastor brings forth the message that the words that fall from his lips are those that would convict the stony heart of the lost, but yet reinforce and bolster the hearts of those that you call your sons and daughters. Watch over and protect us this hour. Give us a ten of hearts. Give us eyes to see, hearts for understanding, as well as ears to hear the message. Be with us, comfort us, and add your blessing to this hour. In the name of Christ we ask. Amen. Please remain standing. Will you take your red Trinity hymnal and turn to 119, the red Trinity in 119, 119. It's the wrong tune. Just a minute. Hold that thought. <laughs> yes, but um, you would once we start singing it and we don't know it. You would know. <laughs> no, we, I said 119, but that's not the right tune. The piano player says it's not the right tune, so we're going to give us a minute. 59? Okay. Brown hymnal, number 59. Very sorry. 5-9 in the brown. 59. Same words, the correct tune. Hopefully we all know it and sing very loudly. <coughs> Thank you. 
At this time, does anyone have a favorite hymn from one of our hymnals or the praise songbook for a request this morning? Oh, I see a little hand back there. I, yes, Elizabeth. I believe that's in the brown. I should have this one memorized by now. I believe, let's see. 284. And why this hymn, Miss Elizabeth? Why do you want this hymn? Pardon? It's your favorite. Yes, it is. She was singing it all morning. 284 in the brown. Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 45, and that'll be page 1533 in your pew Bible, 
When you arrive at that, please stand with us. Matthew 21:33 Hear another parable There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country When the season for fruit drew near he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another and stoned another Again he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them finally he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son but when the tenants saw the son they said to themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and have his inheritance and they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him and therefore the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those tenants they said to him he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons jesus said to them have you never read the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone that was the lord's doing and it's marvelous and is it marvelous in our eyes therefore i tell you the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone it will crush him when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Will you take your red Trinity hymnal again and turn to number 101, 101 in the red Trinity. One, one, zero, one. Yes, one hundred and one.
Our text of scripture today is Matthew 21. Verses 33 and following. last Lord's Day we looked at the parable of the two sons and we asked the question what prompted the Lord to tell this story well to put it frankly Jesus authority was being questioned by the religious elite of his day so he refused a direct answer but instead he gave these men the challenge John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? These leaders never answered Jesus for fear that it would incriminate them for their unbelief of John's message and ministry. So they said, well, we don't know. We don't know. Brethren, there are people who know the truth, but they refuse to submit to it. (coughs) Baptism is one of the issues. And so they say, I don't know. So Jesus told the parable of the two sons. The first son told by his father to go and work in the vineyard. Said, I will not. But later he repented and he went. The second said, oh, I will, sir. But he never entered the vineyard. These two sons represent two kinds of people. Those that first rejected the word of God, the father, and refused to enter his kingdom because they loved their sin more. The tax collectors, the prostitutes that Jesus ministered to were the direct people involved but after their refusal they later repented they heeded the teaching of John the second son represented those who had all of the politically correct politeness towards John oh I will sir yeah you want me to go I will but they never ever did enter the kingdom of God as God commanded came to them In the preaching of John. Those were the religious elite of Jesus' day. We drew out two lessons. Number one, God's kingdom will be populated by converted riffraff of society. Because it is these people who first refused but later obeyed the commands of God. And secondly, we learned that the refusal to repent is even more aggravated when men see the error of their choices and yet will not respond to right. I mean, think of it. The changed lives of these sinners could be seen, but it did not compel the religious leaders to reconsider their position. They just went on with it the ways status quo. Well, today we move on in the same text to consider the story of the wicked tenants. 
And as we do, let us ask for the Lord's enablement. Thank you, Lord, for these parables. Uh, they bring before us human stories that teach us spiritual lessons. We're thankful that you took the time to find a means to reach our hard hearts. There won't be a person in this auditorium today that will be able to say, I don't know what Je I don't know what Jesus was talking about. They will know. And whether they accept it or refuse it, they will know. So I pray, Lord, that you will work with your spirit to take the words of Christ and his prophets, his teachers, in this case, the ministry of John the Baptist, and convict our hearts, all of our hearts. If we know you, we need to repent of ongoing sin. If we don't know you, we need to come to the Savior, fall at his feet, and seek his forgiveness. Claim his blood for ourselves, that God may be glorified in another soul that is saved. Honor, we pray, your word today. Save whom you will. Strengthen us all. In Christ's name, we ask. Amen. Jesus' ministry, I guess we're catching on now that I've been in this series a bit, is his ministry was replete with these parables, stories. Let's say it this way, everybody likes a story. And Jesus knew that as well. What is more, they could understand stories and that had spiritual meaning when the Spirit of God took the stories from the words of Christ and then applied them to people's hearts, basically saying to their heart, hey, he, he was talking about you. He was talking about you. Were you listening? He's not a storyteller just for the sake of being a storyteller. He tells these parables to reach into the hearts of people who are spiritually illiterate. They're not in their Bibles, reading, studying, praying. Some might have been, but generally no, they were workaday people. The Pharisees, they were in their Bibles, but strange thing, <laughs> the Word of God never touched them where it's supposed to touch them. They were hypocritical. Do as I say, not as I do. That was the Pharisees. As we begin, it's important to see the connection to what we have last studied. The parable of the two sons dealt with a landowner and his vineyard, so too here. I mean, there's, a, there's continuity. Two sons, that parable supporting the ministry of John the Baptist and demonstrating the end of those who refused his message. The wicked tenants, the parable supporting the ministry of Jesus Christ and demonstrating the end of those who refuse him. Don't you think the order is significant? 
I do. John was the forerunner of the Christ, the herald of. So his parable or his his sermon is listed first, and then you have the reaction of Christ. Both parables concern the rejection of the religious leaders towards those whom God sent their way to lead them into the kingdom. Both parables incorporate the listener to the story by asking them a question on the story. Verse 31, verse 40. Their, their response, in both cases, indicts them as God-haters. Whoa. So it isn't accidental that these two parables are found back-to-back on the pages of Holy Scripture. There's more detail in this parable before us this morning, and I think because it deals with none other than God and his beloved Son, and in symbolic form, the goodness of God and salvation. So what's it about? Well, we witness a landowner, God the Father, who planted a vineyard, that's his kingdom, which at force incorporated Israel as a nation. This vineyard was protected with a retaining wall and a watchtower, both of which were defensive measures to avert the vineyard workers on impending trouble, be it marauding bands or wild animals or an approaching storm. Within this vineyard, the landowner also dug a wine press, which usually consisted of an upper stone-lined vat into which the grapes were placed for stamping by the feet of the workers, and that vat was connected to a lower vat by a pipe through which the juice of the crushed grapes flowed. By the way, if you want a reference in the Old Testament, check out Isaiah 63, first six verses, where Christ is explained as tramping out the nations, tramping out the nations in his vineyard. Now, after all of this careful and thoughtful planning, the landowner rented out the vineyard to sharecroppers, verse 33, verse 34. The deal was this. You may work the vineyard. You may use all the tools that I have provided. You may run the wine press. You may benefit from the sale of all the wine. All I ask is that you pay me a small percentage of the vintage. Wow. This is what sharecropping is all about. These farmers had no money themselves to purchase a vineyard. They owned no land. They had no protected work site. They had no wine press. They had no tools. They were penniless. What they had going for them was a well-stocked, well-designed, existing vineyard that the landowner just sat in their lap. All they had to do was work the vineyard, harvest the grapes, pay the landowner his rent by giving him a percentage of the grapes. This was more than fair. Well, harvest day came and the landowner sent his estate servants to collect his portion of the harvest. But instead of paying them 
a share of the crop, the wicked sharecroppers seized the landowner's servants, I'm reading scripture, beat one, kill another, and pelted a third one with stones, who probably was the one who escaped to report the incident to the landowner. This was outrageous. It was uncalled for on the part of these tenants. The landowner had shown them kindness, which they returned with meanness. He had saved their lives by providing a livelihood for them and their families. And they returned the favor by beating and even killing his servants. You and I would have ended the matter right then and there. We would have mustered all our servants and an army-like fashion. We would have dealt a death blow to these ingrates and murderers. But the landowner did not do this. Instead, he sent another delegation of servants. Verse 36 says, more than the first time. So more servants. And the tenants treated them the same way. Mark's gospel says, he sent many others. Some of them they beat and others they killed. Mark 12 verse 5. Wow. We think, well, now the landowner will send in his armies. Yes, he will. But no. Huh. This landowner is long-suffering. He's extremely patient to a fault, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so he decided to send his son, his only son. Mark puts it this way, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. Mark 12, verse 6. But there was no respect. Not by these sharecroppers, not even for the landowner's son. Instead, they plotted the premeditated murder. Verse 38, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. So there were people who are murderers at the heart and they care not if they kill commoner or royalty. There's no more respect in these people for the landowner's son than there was for the servants who preceded him. At this point the story ends and Jesus asks his audience, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Verse 40. And the people responded, verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop 
at harvest time. This was a true and right analysis of the situation. They surmised correctly that with the murder of his only son, the patience of the landowner would be exhausted. And whereas he did not act in vengeance before, the time had come for punishment to be meted out and for the vineyard to be put into the hands of competent, responsible, honest men. Quite amazing. So that's the story. What's the meaning of the story? Well, it is God the Father who built a kingdom for his own glory. And he equipped it with good things, everything necessary to sustain those who would populate it. All he asked in return was good stewardship, a percentage of the proceeds in exchange for his lavish generosity and watch care. Israel was the first people to populate the vineyard. They were the original tenant farmers, and their advantages were vast and unique. In Isaiah 5, God built his vineyard, as here in our text, and then he asked, You dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Isaiah 5, verse 3 through 5. And the context shows that God determined to take away the hedge and break down the wall and make the vineyard a wasteland. And he tells us why. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Isaiah 5, verse 7 and following. Israel of all the nations was chosen by God to be his people. And to Israel God gave his word, his covenants, his promises. For them alone he healed their diseases. He caused their crops to flourish while depriving others of the same wonderful benefits. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the atoning sacrifices approved by God to receive forgiveness. They had the priesthood to lead them in worship. They had godly leaders like Moses and Joshua and Caleb and David and Solomon. In battles against their enemies, God fought for Israel, sometimes doing the miraculous. You remember the account where he caused the sun to stand still while Israel was in heated battle against an enemy. And other times, equipping them with courage and strength to fight with tenaciousness until the victory was secured, thus against the walls of Jer Jericho. Verse 
This was also the Jewish nation in its favored position as the tenant farmer of Jesus' story. Secondly, God sent his servants to his people, his prophets, his ministers, not only once, but repeatedly. Men like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah. The mission of these servants of God was to remind the people of their responsibility to God and to remind them that they were not the owners of the vineyard, but stewards only. As such, they had an obligation to obey the conditions of their favorite status. Now, God wasn't demanding perfection, but he was looking for justice on their part and righteous behavior, a love for God and a love for one another. That's what God wanted to see in Israel. He didn't find any of this. Instead, Israel responded by persecuting God's servants. We remember that Elijah had to flee for his life from Jezebel and Ahab because the people had gone after Baal worship and had ignored the preaching of God's word and his worship. The people had tolerated and then accepted the foreign gods of Jezebel. Second Chronicles 24 tells of the people abandoning the temple of the Lord and running after the Asherah goddess of fertility. Let me read it. The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and he said, Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Verse 20 and following. And in verse 19... It reads, All the Lord's, although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against him, they would not listen. They wouldn't listen. In Jeremiah 36, God instructed Jeremiah to record all the prophecies which God had given him since the inception of his ministry. And he did it with the help of Baruch, a scribe. The scroll was then read to the people with great conviction in their heart, later to the king's officials, who were also impressed with its content, so much so that they took it to the king to read. And when the king was informed of it, he ordered the scroll to be brought to him, and after every few columns in the scroll were read, he would cut them out of the scroll and throw them into the fire until all of Jeremiah's prophecy was destroyed. And then he sent a soldier to arrest Jeremiah and Baruch the scribe. But God hid them from the king. In 
In Jeremiah 37, when a new king came to power, he was no better. Jeremiah was given a new prophecy warning the king that the Babylonians were coming and would burn Jerusalem to the ground. So the king had Jeremiah beaten and imprisoned. Didn't like that prophecy either. We read he was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained for a very long time. Verse 16 of Jeremiah 37. Chapter 38, when the city was under siege and Jeremiah urged its citizens to surrender because